Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. Tonight we can actually be the Two Bucks Sports Podcast. I want to welcome my co-host and colleague and good buddy Drew back to the podcast. We had a special edition last night with Zach, but uh, uh, Drew, it wasn't the same without you. So welcome into the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I uh, listened to your podcast today and... You know, I'm not the biggest Titans fan. Uh, I'm not a Titans fan, but I found it to be very knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, I could have used a, a few more heated moments, you know, calling everybody a bunch of losers and you know, really calling some people out. But all in all, solid job. You know, the only thing that could have made it better is if I was there. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to disagree with that. We uh, we got a pretty good little back and forth going, so uh been nice to have you there. But Zach did a nice job as we uh, kind of worked through what was an otherwise ugly season for the Titans. And I'm sure we'll have more episodes like that in the future, breaking down some teams and uh, how the season went. But uh, big shout out to Zach Jones. Appreciate you being there last night. And uh, Drew, again, glad to have you back tonight. Okay. Man, it's been it feels like it's been a while. And I know we did a special edition on Monday night, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Let's get in. Let's get after it. What do you got on the docket first? Let's play ball. Well, first of all, you've seen the news, right? Like uh, this kid was an Internet sensation. Uh, his name is Diernest. Um, Diernest. Uh, Come on. And Topic number one. You don't even have it queued up. Last name. Anyway, his name's Diernest. He's the Popeye's kid. He's the yeah. one standing there with the little drink and he cuts his eyes. Well, he officially has grown up. He has signed a uh, football scholarship to be a Division II offensive lineman. And, defensive. you know, uh, defensive lineman, you're right. And you know what his first NIL deal was? It better be Popeye's. It was Popeye's chicken. Love that, that chicken for Popeye's. <laughs> My boy has grown up and he has made it. Dyrenus Collin is his name. So, uh, I'll tell you what, I've seen, I've seen the side by side, and there's no telling he's eating his Popeye's in between then and now. <laughs> that boy is, that's a big old boy. That is a grown man that is uh, going to wreak some havoc in Division Two level, and uh, Popeyes probably gave him that NIL to get to get some money back. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably cheaper. <laughs> well, you know, I'll be honest with you. NIL is there to NIL is there for the businesses to get their name out and publicize, and they have been robbing this kid blind by not paying him this whole time. He Absolutely. should have been getting paid by Popeyes for the last decade. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm hoping that check's pretty substantial because he's only owed some back pay. Sure is. He's even in a board game. He's in that what do you mean game. Like he's everywhere. And I hope that he got paid for at least some of that because kid could have made a fortune. Otherwise, I hope they're making up making it up now. And I, I've always wanted to know the backstory to that picture. Maybe I just missed it at the time, but I you know, he looks like he just saw a fight. And you know in a Popeyes there's gonna be a fight. Yeah. So uh, the article that I read didn't really say anything about it other than he took some offense to it at first, uh, but then he realized like the humor that everybody got out of it and kind of grew into grew into the image so much so that you've seen the picture of him on the stage after a state championship game making the same face looking at the state championship trophy. So good on him for embracing that. Well, I mean, let's be honest. What 12-year-old isn't embarrassed by every picture taken of him? That's we fair. were fortunate enough to not have the opportunity to go viral when we were that age. Yeah, so if exactly. we would, there were some bad pictures taken of us. And if you want them, you got to go to my mama's house. Cause there's hard copies only. <laughs> I, I may have one or two of those on my phone. So if any of our special listeners out there want to hear or see those pictures, let me know. We can make it happen. <laughs> hey, 
monetize it. <laughs> That's right. You, we're gonna if you're gonna give them out, we're gonna it's gonna be a Patreon gift or it's gonna we're gonna auction them or something. Yeah, we're gonna, two, we're gonna two bucks need to make some upgrades. That's right. And with these pictures, trust me, we will definitely make some upgrades. <laughs> oh, hey, that's fine. I can I can be bought. Yeah, there you go. Um, a bit of college football news that we didn't get to last week, and I meant to in our show. Um, but uh, Jimbo Fisher is he's getting together quite the the staff with a questionable past, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, what you're referring to is Bobby Petrino, the sure. infamous motorcycle rider. You know, the only difference between him and Evil Knievel is Evil Knievel didn't date a former volleyball player slash football yeah. staffer <laughs> while he was married. And so, right. And, uh, yeah, to me, this reeks of – is desperation the right word? I, Jimbo has often – been his biggest red flag his biggest downfall other than the fact that he hasn't done anything outside of Jameis Winston is that he refuses to let anybody in on his own offense yeah and he refuses to give up play calling despite play calling being terrible and the offense of being stagnant mm -hmm. and so he went for the name mm -hmm. and he went for the pedigree and he didn't care you know if if you were to if you were to make that hire and wasn't looking to make a splash out of it, mm -hmm. then, you know, Texas A&M could do anything. You know, they could go hire anybody. They've got the money. Sure. But the fact that they went for Petrino, who had taken the OC job at UNLV under Barry Odom. So the fact that they went for him when they could pay anybody says something to me because he wants it to be known and he wants everybody to see that he's willing, that he's giving it up. Yeah. It's it's posturing to me. Yeah, I agree. He's moving more into that Nick Saban, Kirby Smart kind of CEO role of the team is what it looks like. Um, I just thought it's interesting. You, you know, he's got a he's got a bit of a checkered pass. DJ Jerkins got a bit of a checkered pass. They got Steve Adazio. So it's quite the interesting coaching lineup that they're rolling out there for a team that's probably going to win seven games next year. And, you know, he got DJ Durkin from Ole Miss. And DJ Durkin has got chops. He's a defensive guru. He turned that Ole Miss defense sure. into something from absolutely mm -hmm. nothing in one year. And I always hate to see him go. Mm -hmm. DJ Durkin will always be remembered for the incident at Maryland where mm -hmm. an offensive lineman passed away during an offseason workout, which he was run to he was worked too hard and then wasn't the symptoms of a heat stroke was not treated correctly or quickly enough. Right. And and he took the heat for that, and rightfully so because it was his program. But he was not there. Yeah. You know, it's his culture that he built, and that's sure. why he's paying for it. And that's why it'll haunt him till the day he dies. Sure. But let's not say that he's the one that was out there running the kid either, and that he he was the one forcing him to keep going. That was that was his staffers. He's yeah. responsible, but to a lesser degree. Yeah. yeah, and I hate that that's going to follow him. It's just uh, it's just interesting that uh, that's who Jimbo Fisher is building his staff out of, and good for him giving these guys second chances. You know, Saban's been doing it for years with uh, uh, Sarkeesian, Butch Brick by Brick Jones, like giving these guys second chances. So Jimbo's trying to copy that and see if he can get some success out of these guys, and you know maybe it'll work out for him. Just uh, uh, keep uh, you know keep Bobby Petrino away from the Harley dealership, yeah. and uh, you run your practice, and it should be all right. 
Well, and Bobby Petrino would have for, been forgiven. He's been forgiven a few times. I mean, he's had some other jobs. The problem with Bobby Petrino is he's also a prick. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, at this point, that's his biggest downfall is that he's right. A prick. He's just a jerk. <laughs> he's a terrible person. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. That just makes me like A and M. It makes it a, a little bit easier to hate A and M. Not that I had an issue beforehand, but uh, a oh, it doesn't easier. change my opinion of A and M at all. If anything, it gives me just more ammo just because it's low-hanging fruit to pick on them again for something That's what else. I'm Makes me hate them a little bit more, when I'm, and I'm definitely okay with that. Oh, I thought you said a little bit less, but yeah, no. No. absolutely. I mean, yeah. I don't have a problem with it, but it's low-hanging fruit, so yeah. when I'm ready to bash on a and I'll go there first. There you go. Uh, but yeah, we'll kind of wrap up college football for the year. You know, had a, a kind of a dud national championship game Monday night that we talked about. Uh, I guess the board we decided to rip out a podcast uh, in the middle of it. I was watching the national championship game on my big screen TV and the grids on my computer. And after we recorded the game, I switched it and I put the grids on TV and the football game on my computer just to keep up with it. But uh, by the time we got that podcast done, that game was. Not that it wasn't already, but it was all the way over. And I think one thing that made it a little bit sweeter, and I know you're not a big SEC guy, so I'm going out on a limb by saying some of this, but I did appreciate the revenge that Kirby Smart exacted on Sonny Dykes for calling out the SEC for Cupcake Week. Did you see that quote a few weeks ago? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so for those who didn't see it, Sonny Dykes, the head coach at TCU, called the SEC out for their Cupcake Week in Week 10, basically saying the Big 12 doesn't have that benefit because they play a a, a, a more robust conference schedule. But I'd be willing to uh, submit to Sonny Dykes that some of those conference games that they play are cupcake games comparatively. Yeah. To that what was going to be played. my exact comment, is that mm-hmm. their, their conference was a cupcake this year. Yeah. Not not every year, because mm-hmm. Texas and Oklahoma have been good before, especially Oklahoma. But this year, both of those teams were down, mm-hmm. and Baylor was down, and Texas Tech. I mean, you were playing in the, in the Big Twelve title game against Kansas State, and you're going right. to say that you're going to say that the SEC plays an easy schedule. Yeah, uh, that's just like self awareness. And I'm not an SEC guy, but I pride myself in being able to look at things from both sides. I feel like I'm a pretty empathetic guy. Even if I hate the team, like I can look at it from both sides pretty well. And that just lacked self awareness at all. And not to mention, do never, 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 if you're a coach, give bulletin board material the week of a championship game. Never, never. That's what Saban calls rat poison. And Saban goes on about how much, you know, I hate rat poison. I hate how much people build us up, you know, and because that's the Alabama thing. They just build you up. But he loves it. He, he loves it because he loves to have something. He could walk into a building, put it on the wall, and say, you see what they're saying about you? Mm-hmm. And and the Georgia the Georgia players, I know that you've got your <laughs> – you know, you everybody likes to play the nobody believes in this card, but give me a break. Nobody was predicting that team to go 7-5, and five, Nolan Smith. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> no. There wasn't a sane soul alive. The only one that may have – said they were going 75 would have been an Auburn hater. You know, like, there, there's, there was no yeah. chance. Nobody thought they were going 75. Nobody thought they were going 9-3. and three. If they would have went 9-3, and three, I would have been like, dang, this is a bad year for Georgia. <laughs> right. We Especially- see the recruiting classes. We see how the trajectory. We see how you've been the last four or five years. There was no doubt in anybody's mind that y'all were going to compete for the SEC championship at Absolutely. least. At least. 
Yeah, exactly. And and uh, the only person that might have said that would have been Desmond Howard. I don't know if you remember his insane Final Four prediction of Baylor, Pittsburgh, Texas A&M, and Michigan. Um, Ooh, he got it, he went one for four. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the other ones were awful picks. But, yeah. Uh, he might have been the only one, but yeah, the SEC kind of holds court. You know, that's 13 out of the last 17 national champs from the SEC. I know you're not an SEC homer, but I read this today. And in the bowl games this year, the SEC played the Big 12 champ, the Big 12 runner up, the Big 10 runner up, and the ACC champion. They went 4 0 in those games, outscoring him 204 to 48. So when they go to that 12-team playoff in a couple years, especially as you mentioned earlier, the SEC is adding Texas and Oklahoma, who are usually perennial right. powerhouses. It's going to be an SEC show. Like it won't, it will, it won't be long until there's five SEC teams in that top 12. And so that goes back to the argument. I want to have a show about this in the future, just about those regular season games are still going to matter to try and be those six at-large team at-large bids, because if not, it's just going to be SEC teams. Right, they'll matter to get into the playoff. Absolutely, my good thing is it just wouldn't matter for if you didn't make it. You know, it it makes the individual game in the SEC calendar less important because if you lose one, all right, fine. You know, win nine and you're in. If you're playing the in the West, you know, that's, sure. you got three to gamble with. You know, you got three to lose. Yeah, because going back to like Sonny Dykes' quote, like looking just at Mississippi State this year, we played LSU, Ole Miss. Uh, Kentucky, Alabama, and Georgia, and all five of those teams were ranked when we played them. And so, like, right, right. there, they're five top 25 teams. We have the third toughest strength of schedule. So forgive us if we play, you know, North Alabama, East Tennessee. We played East Tennessee this year in Week right. 10 in prep for Ole Miss because we just got done playing a gauntlet where we had A&M, Alabama, Georgia, Auburn, Kentucky – and we like that. That's a tough, tough stretch most years. Well, and I would invite Sonny Dykes to look at the Ole Miss football schedule next year because in Week Ten, Ole Miss plays Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we what, we give them back. We had them for the last two years. It's your turn now. <laughs> yeah. What did what did this loss say to you about the Big Twelve? <sighs> that's always such a that's an interesting uh, conversation. It's hard to it's easy to get caught up in the moment and say the Big Twelve is just it's miles inferior to the sec because of the one game we just saw right it tells me that if this is the best you have it's not as good as the sec's best and the second best is not as good right because kansas state lost to alabama i'd be curious to see a like a like a head-to-head conference like they do in college basketball conference tournament yeah that'd be neat i think the sec is still head and shoulders better than oh there's no yeah there's no question that the sec is better as a conference my thing is, and I think this kills the Big 12 for this reason, that is going to be the last. Now, we've got one more year of Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. So if they don't make the – one of those teams doesn't make the playoff next year, the last taste that we're going to have in our mouths of the Big 12 in the playoff will be that TCU game. And so if they don't make it next year, and they'll be discounted a little bit next year based sure. on this game, after that, then you win the Big 12 without even playing Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, your best win of the year is going to be, uh, you know, it seems like once every three or four years, Oklahoma State makes a run at it. That's going to be your best win, you know. 
Yeah, because they're adding BYU, they're adding Cincinnati, and they're going to take some time to kind of catch up to the talent pool. So you're right. Like when those teams leave, it's going to be tough. It's the same thing that happened in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 have had two teams in the college football playoff, and both of them got smoked, Oregon and Washington. And so the opportunity for the Pac-12 to get – it's tougher for the Pac-12 teams now. See, USC, they were in, but losing to Utah didn't didn't do do them any favors – but it's tough to get back as the Pac-12. You're quickly discounted because people have a long memory, and they remember the last time you were there and you got embarrassed and did not give a competitive football game, and it could have the same effect on the Big 12. Yeah, and to put a bow on the game itself, that was one of those perfect storms, man. TCU is not, what, 58 points worse than Georgia. Georgia's not 58 points better than anybody in college football history. Like, that's just or in power five. I mean, you just don't expect that game. That was Georgia's best effort. Mm-hmm. That was TCU rattled. They were, they were nervous going in and they got popped in the mouth early and they folded and it was over yeah. and it got out of hand. Yeah. That's exactly I don't think I, I don't, I hesitate to say that this should discount the pack the uh, big 12 as a whole, because I do believe that there's some worthy teams out there because I, you know, you look at those Oklahoma teams that made the playoff every year. I think they made four or five in a row, and they never won a game. Those yeah. teams deserve to be there. You know, those those teams were the fourth best team in the country. And you can – doesn't matter the conference. There wasn't an SEC team that they should have, you know, been replaced by. And so it's just – like I said like I said on Monday night after the game was – or while we were podcasting at, after the game was over – before the game was actually over, yeah. you know, that it just says so much more about Georgia. And I, I agree. Georgia versus 2009 LSU. Who you got? Ooh, I've, I've seen that comparison a lot. Um, I saw that 2019 LSU team in person. Uh, went down to Startville and watched with me. And stay with you and and watched them play that game. That was the fastest football team I've ever seen in person, just top to bottom speed. I I, I think I would take the 2019 LSU team over this team. I do too. The only thing that Georgia has over that LSU team is the coaching edge. Yeah, because Ed Ogeron's a buffoon. But yeah. LSU had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think that's the best team in college football history and. Georgia was great and had a great run, but that yeah. team was special and it felt special when you were watching it. I'll say this though, Drew. Georgia has a very good chance of being the uh, first three-peat. Uh, again, I don't know what's going to happen when they get to the finals in the college uh, college football national championship if they do, but their schedule is very weak next year. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Their toughest game. I just told you they play Ole Miss. Yeah, that's that's one of their toughest games. Uh, Georgia and Ole Miss or Tennessee and Ole Miss will be their top two games. Their non-conference is super weak. They got a chance to, to cakewalk right back to the to the college football finals again. Well, and you always have the unknown, too, when you're replacing a quarterback. Sure. You know, I've been beating the drum for Stetson Bennett for a little while about how he was a great college player. There's nothing wrong with being a great college player. Do not discount him if he doesn't have a pro career. Don't right. discount his college career based on his pro career. He's incredible. And now there's going to be people that's like, okay, well, just wait. They've got a five-star coming up. But yeah, but – you had a 25-year-old CPA out there <laughs> that had been in the system and executed it flawlessly. Mm-hmm. I know you you may have a four or five-star coming in that was a good recruit, 
but don't expect him to be as good as Stetson Bennett in first in the first year. And what's wild about that about Stetson Bennett, and we can move on, but the he is because he was never named an All American. He is ineligible for the College Football Hall of Fame as a player. He's a two time back to back national champ, led that team super well, made big plays. But I read today that because he was named never named an All American, ineligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. I love Stetson Bennett, but I don't know that he should be in the College Football Hall of Fame either. Statistically speaking, you know, sure. that that is a stats award. Now, wins play a part in it, mm-hmm. but, you know, that was a winner, in Alabama, who won, who won and who won the, it wasn't the same quarterback and back to back when they went and won in 10 and 11, was it? Uh, uh, no, AJ McC- it might have been AJ McC- was it McCarron, McElroy, then McCarron. No, McElroy was before the college. Was it Coker and then McCarron? Coker oh. was in 14. So it was before that. So. That was a team Ole Miss beat. That was Jake Coker. Let's see. So I know McCarron was one of them. So A.J. McCarron was 11 and 12. He was the back-to-back national champ. It was A.J. So McCarron. Is A.J. McCarron a Hall of Famer? He was an All-American, so I don't know. I mean, but I'm saying if yeah, you think back of A.J. McCarron, do you think he's yeah. – one of the greatest to ever play the position. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, see, that's where I stand. Give him his flowers. He deserves every bit of credit, and he deserves zero. You know, you don't ever say anything bad about him, but I'm not going to go as far as say he should be an All-American or a Hall of Famer, rather. There you go. Well, switching gears a little bit, uh, we can get back to some college football as we get closer to spring practice and that sort of stuff. And, Drew, I don't know if you saw, but – uh, we're only about 30-something days. We're 37 days away from baseball at Duty Noble, so we'll have a ton of time to talk about college baseball coming up. I'm super and excited to We're going to talk college baseball. You know, I, I know that is the most niche of sports to cover. But we love it. But <laughs> I believe you know we branded this podcast as a podcast for Southern sports fans, Yeah. and there's no better area to target this niche market than where we're sitting right now. Yeah. And it's something that we both love. And, you know, I'm the defending champion. Oh, God. And so, you know, I'm I'm going to be riding high throughout the whole season. Win, lose or draw. <laughs> we will be the champion until there's another one. So. You know, yeah, you're not wrong. But, yeah, maybe that's our niche. Right. You know, there's a million sports podcasts out there. Maybe we find our niche in college baseball. But I, I'm, I'm like you, man. We could I could talk about college baseball all day and all night. Not even just Mississippi State. Right, there's just something about. It's the it's the best sport in my opinion, and college baseball is the best manifestation of it. Um, I, but I believe yeah. that college baseball is the best sport to attend mm-hmm. in person. SEC yeah. college baseball, and I may and I may just limit that to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, and Arkansas. I was about to say, especially at the like the like the cathedrals, like Duty right. Noble, Swayze Field, like uh, Alex Box, like those are the places you want to watch college baseball. If you ever get a chance, because I went to I went two years ago, the year we won the title, played at South Carolina, and like it was just kind of a dud, some decent stadium, but it's just kind of a dud of a game. Nothing right. like games in Starkville or Oxford. Um, definitely worth experiencing at one of the true cathedrals of college baseball. And it is hands down the best game day experience if you have children because mm-hmm. their tickets, you know, especially with midweek games, you can basically yeah. get your kids in free. They've got playgrounds so you and mama can hang out in the stands. That's what me and my wife do. We yeah. watch baseball and send the older two. They go play on the playground and come back when they want to watch some baseball. It's the best experience for yeah. for a family sporting event. 
Yeah, same in, in Starville, you know, with the left field lounge, grilling all day. You can walk back there and get some food, the tradition to field and the outfielders. It's just such a family environment. I'm getting chills. We could talk about this all night. but yeah, We'll get into on, that. While we're on the subject of baseball real quick, go out of order a little bit. Have you have you been keeping up with this Carlos Correa saga that's been going on? So, obviously, I'm aware of who Carlos Correa is, which says a lot considering baseball, the Major League Baseball, has done a terrible job of marketing its superstars. Mm-hmm. So if if I'm aware of who Carlos Correa is, me being a a baseball fan light, then mm-hmm. I know he's good. He's really good. He was on those Astros title teams. And I have kept up with it just seeing the headlines. But when I saw you put that in the show, Doc, I, I did look it up. And I've got a timeline here if you want me to run through the timeline. I don't know if you had that pulled up or not. That's what I've got. I've got it pulled okay. up, but the, but the 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 biggest thing, and and kind of walk through the timeline a little bit, and then I've got some. I actually have a source. I have an insider uh, information source. But go ahead and roll through that timeline real quick. Okay. Um. Actually, it just went away. So you do it. You said so, you had it. So go for yeah, it. <laughs> so Carlos Correa, uh, shortstop for the Astros, had an opportunity to re-sign with several teams. Um. So far, Drew, this off season. Carlos Correa, just for reference, has signed 31 years and two or 865 million dollars worth of contracts. Right. So the first one, teams. the first one was with the uh, San Francisco Giants. Right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 15, 13 years. I think it was 13 years. I've, I've got it. It, it you glitched. You keep going. I'll look reloading. it up. I got it right here. The first one was with the Saint San Francisco Giants. He had signed the deal uh, in December on December the 13th, um, 350 million dollar deal um, uh, for 13 right, years. I've got it here. So the first deal was on December the 14th. Correa reaches in a deal with the reaches a deal with the San Francisco Giants, a 13 year contract worth 350 million dollars. And at that time, according to CBS Sports, there was no notion that Correa's physical might threaten or derail his chances of becoming the face of the Giants franchise. And then on December December the 20th, which six days later, the Giants have a press conference to introduce Carlos Correa as their new all-world shortstop, and they cancel it the day of. Uh, So the next day, so Major League Baseball super agent, Scott Boris, if you follow baseball, you know who he is. He is the uh, Jimmy Sexton of Major League Baseball. Uh, when they when they canceled the press conference and started asking for second opinions, Scott Boris said, now hold up a second. We agreed to this. We've given you time to sign the paperwork and hand it back to us so we can sign, and y'all are dragging your feet now, not us. So give us an answer now. Or we're going to start shopping around because we got a couple more fish on the line. Well, the Giants balked, and the next day, the December the 21st, he signs a contract with the New York Mets for 12 years and $315 million. So one year less and $35 million less. And he said, you know, we gave you time to sign it. You didn't sign it. I'm protecting my client. And Scott Boris has got the, the cojones and the credo to do that and he did it only for the new york mets to flag his physical and then this goes on for weeks 
And finally, on January the 10th, he signs a six-year, $200 million contract with the Twins, going back to where he played last year. And so it also comes with a couple incentives for a 7th, 8th, and ninth, and a 10th year. If he chooses to stay and stays healthy, he's got a no full, he's got a full no-trade clause. Uh, but the, So the maximum value of the contract could be $270 million, which is north of what the Mets offered. Per so, year. Per year. So, no, no. So it's the, the total value, and it's about $7.5 million more to like total. Yeah, I guess total per year. So, um, yeah. So he had an opportunity to sign with a couple teams. And from what I've been told, I have a connection that uh, has a teammate that used to be represented by the same agent, Scott Boris. And he said that what he has heard is that Correa had a bad physical with the Giants and then decided that he wanted to play in New York. So the physical ended up being a bigger deal because they made it a bigger deal to the Giants. He tried to so, get out of it. Because mm-hmm, he wanted to go play in New York. Oh, okay. He opportunity to go to New York, and then word got around, and it kind of got the Mets kind of caught wind of some of the shady dealings that had happened in San Francisco, and so they wanted to know more about this physical that came back bad. And so he had burned the Giants. The Mets were afraid they were getting burned or getting a lame duck. And so Scott Boris pivoted in the last hour and said, look, you just need to go back to where you came from. That's going to be your safest landing spot. And that's they, out uh, back in Minnesota. And, you know, good on him. This worked out because as a – like I've told you, the MLB does a terrible job in marketing athletes. They do a terrible job in sharing highlights. You know, they do a terrible job with their blackout markets. For mm-hmm. instance, as a St. Louis Cardinals fan, I cannot watch a home game, a St. Louis Cardinals home game on ESPN because North Mississippi – is apparently close enough to where I should be able to buy season tickets to St. Louis. It's yep. the dumbest thing in the world, and it it has hindered the growth of their sport, and it's awful. Coupled with that is all of these stars are going to the West Coast, and there is nothing worse than your star players being on the West Coast because for the majority of Americans, you know, if you live in Mountain or Central or Eastern time zone, those are the late games. You look at you look at MLB games and the back-to-back MLB games they'll do on Major League Baseball on ESPN and even the NBA games that they do back-to-back on TNT or ESPN. That 9:30 game is always a West Coast game because it's 7 o'clock there. Yeah. Well, us us folks, you know, I don't care to stay up that late to watch a game that I'm not vested in. And so I don't care. You know, Mike Trout's wasted his whole career in playing for the Los Angeles um, Angels. And I don't know that I've seen a single game because if he's playing on national television, which he's normally not because he's on a terrible team, you know, the L.A. market occasionally and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani will get you a primetime game. Even then, it's at 930. Mm -hmm. and. For the rest of America, nobody's going to stay up and watch it. No, especially not us old people on the East Coast over here. And it's sad that those are two of the best players of our generation. You know, Ohanti is doing stuff we haven't seen since the 40s and 50s with two-way Never players. seen. Never yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah. Like the first of the two-way players we've had since the 40s and 50s. And he's putting up all-star numbers at both positions that even Babe Ruth didn't do. And like, no, like the vast majority of the country has never seen him play a live game 
for that very reason. It just stinks that they're on such a a bad team and then be a team on the West Coast. And so good for Correa for staying in the central time zone. So if you do care to watch him play, he's a good baseball player. He's an excellent shortstop. And a fun team. Fun team. The Minnesota Twins are young. They've got a lot of potential. They've definitely shown some growth over the last couple of years. And so good on Correa for getting his bag. And, you know, may not have been the best uh, ethical way to get it, but he got it. So good on him for getting it. And I'll tell you, I know that the time zone probably played zero Zero. factor in where he signed, but it should have. Yeah. Think of the folks that want to watch you. Yeah. And – I mean, I'm sure San Francisco probably nicer to live in than Minneapolis. But, listen, I'm just not going to stay up to 930 and watch the Twins play. Nope. May not watch the Twins play anyways. But if St. <laughs> Louis were playing the Twins on national television at 930, I'm still going to bed. Yeah. I mean, that's it. They're the Sunday night baseball game because it's an early first pitch on the West Coast. I'll watch it. But other than that, like you said, not probably not going to catch it. But Right. So we always talk about the Grizz, and I definitely want to get into some of the Grizz talk, but I don't know if you saw what was released yesterday. Every year at the midway point of the season, the NBA, they send it out right around Christmas. So it's been about two, two and a half weeks ago. They send out a mid-season media survey. Right. They pick 30 media members, and they send out a survey to them. I think it's um, Tim Bontemps that does it, right? Is that who, is that who does it with ESPN? Uh, it's through the it's through the NBA. Um, okay. It's NBA.com sends it out. Um, there are 30 total votes for each question because there's 30 media members, um, and they get to they get to vote on different players, different teams, different questions. Have you seen some of the results? No, I haven't actually. So okay. do this, this in a form of uh, Jeopardy. That's what I. That's my my intention was. That's why I didn't put it in the show doc very clearly because okay. I wanted this to be. I'm gonna ask you the question and I want you to tell me who you think. So we're gonna start with some pretty easy ones. It's kind of what they started with. Uh, the first one, and we won't go through all ten. I'll kind of ask you who you think. So the the first question was who are the ten best teams in the NBA right now? And if you had to guess who they thought were the top three to five, who would you say would be the top three to five teams in the NBA? I know I'll end up looking uh, missing some just by mm-hmm. omission because they don't come to my mind. So I am going to pull up the the um, just the team list. Yeah. So and I'll talk about it while you're doing this. So like there was a guy the, uh, on the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast. Shout out to them. It's a great daily podcast about the Grizz. I listen to it every morning. But uh, Demichael Cole from the Commercial Appeal was one of the guys selected for this. So they had an episode about this this morning where he kind of talked through his rationale and uh, some of the thoughts behind some of the picks that he made. Uh, and I found that very interesting to listen to a Grizz homer kind of talk through why he did and did not pick some of the Grizz uh, players, teams, coaches, whatever. So um, if you had to pick the top five teams in the NBA, who do you think they they got? Even I, If you get the top five teams correct, I'll give you half credit. But if you get them in order, you're a Rain Man. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to try to get them in order because it's impossible to know how sports writers, who are typically mm-hmm. nerds and like the advanced mm-hmm. analytics, how they think. Slash. I would say – Slash big market guys, but anyway. Yeah. yeah, I would say Boston, based on the time that this was recorded, I would say Brooklyn would have been in that. Now Kevin Durant's down, so uh, TBD on that. Definitely Milwaukee, definitely Philly. Uh, that's the ones I would say were definitely on it out of the East. If we're just talking the top ten out of the West, I'll just uh, – Denver, Memphis, New Orleans, Dallas – so that's four and five. So I don't see. Let's add uh, Cleveland. So six teams out of the east, four teams out of the west. That's what I would say. 
you got all but one of their top 10. Okay. So they're, they're top 10 in order. And I'll talk about why I think this is bogus. And it's, it's a, they're a prisoner there. Anyway, we'll get to it in a minute. So number one, the, the, the number one team with 293 total points was Boston Celtics. Yes. Followed by Milwaukee at number two, Denver at number three, Brooklyn at number four, Memphis five, New Orleans six, Cleveland at seven, the Sixers from Philadelphia at eight, nine was the LA Clippers, and ten was Dallas. And the Clippers are the one to me that's like one of these do not belong. And well, it's they're just, projecting. They're projecting. It. They're yeah. projecting. Uh, but the thing is, like, we've yet to see Kawhi and Paul George really play together. They've kind of been on this mix where they'll play two games, they'll miss a game, play two games and miss a game. And so it's hard to know what the Clippers are going to be. Will they turn it off at play- playoff time? Probably. But when this was made around Christmas time and the turn of the new year, I don't know that the Clippers were one of the top 10 teams in the NBA. I think that I would have put them there to start the season because if you look at a lineup that includes Paul, I mean, uh, yeah, Paul, Paul George, George Kawhi and Kawhi Leonard, then that team's a favorite to win the finals. Sure. Now, this game is not played on paper and is not played on a roster sheet, and you've actually got to play the games. Those two have actually got to play the games, and so I would not have placed money on them, but common sense tells me if they're healthy, they're competing, and that's sure. what they're doing. And so who did I add that they left off? Uh, they, it was, a, was it a Western Conference team? Uh, it might have been a Western Conference Dallas? team. Dallas? No, they had Dallas. So, I don't know. Maybe I only gave you nine. Yeah, maybe. So, uh, but either way, either way, that's the top ten. I agree. I feel like they're kind of projecting there. They're a prisoner of the moment because when they most of these people voted was right after the Grizz had played on Christmas Day and did not look their best against the Warriors. And that may have been the only time that some of these guys in Brooklyn or Seattle, Portland, different places may have seen an NBA, the Grizz play an NBA game. So there might be some some prisoner of the moment bias. The other three teams that received votes were the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings, and the Golden State Warriors. And I was going to make a point to that because if you're asking me right now who I if to pick ten teams that might win the finals, you got to put Golden State in it, and they missed them. Next, which team is poised to make a big second half run into that okay. point that you're talking about? <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to I was going to mention two teams: Golden State. You're going to have Clay and Draymond, and Steph gets healthy. That's the same exact team that won it all last year. There's no reason why they can't do it again. Sure. And every list that that you are dissecting who could win the NBA Finals, the Warriors have got to be in your top six or seven at least. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, so- the other team I was going to mention is Miami. Mm. And well, Miami's got the bona fides. Yep. Uh, I haven't mentioned him on this podcast yet because it hasn't come up. But one of my favorite players in the NBA is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is a junkyard dog. And when you when the lights get the brightest is when he turns it up. And he's got a he's had problems in the past of turning it up. Kyle Lowry has struggled this year, and he may be a piece they move at the trade deadline just because his age is catching up to him. But just wait. All the all the heat have to do is make the playoffs. And yeah. they're going to be a a wrecking ball. And they're going to have to be beaten. It's not a team that you're – I don't care what their seat is. They're not a team that can be taken lightly. Yep. Golden State was the number one team picked to make a big second-half run. And then Memphis, Miami, and Milwaukee were tied for third. The Clippers were second, Boston, Brooklyn, Cleveland. And so that kind of plays into the next two, and that's who they gave. There were three teams in the east and five teams in the west that they 
predicted that would represent the respective conference in the NBA Finals. So there's three okay. teams in the East, five teams in the West. So you got two teams from each conference that made the conference finals, obviously. So they they picked who would be there. Mm-hmm. So out of out of the West, I'm going to say they probably have. Like I said, these are nerds. Denver and New Orleans. Mm. Oh, for two? One for two. So not New Orleans? So there's five teams. Denver was second place with 30% of the votes. Okay. Um, so, so they gave me five teams that have a chance to make the final two. Okay. That's, that, that's not really bold statement here. No, they gave five teams that would be the final one from the West and three teams. So there was they released their ballots and they were right in ballots. Top ten teams that could make the conference finals. So they gave and so they picked three only three teams in the East received votes and only five teams in the West okay. received votes. So the five teams in the West is gonna be Golden State, Denver, Memphis, New Orleans, and the Clippers. Uh, you got four out of five. Dallas got three percent. The Clippers were in first at thirty-four. Denver at thirty. Oh Memphis my goodness! First. Yep. Golden State ten. Again, most of these riders are probably in LA or in these big markets, so they're giving the benefit of the doubt to the big markets, and it drives me nuts, man. They've just been out for so long that they're going to have to prove it to me again. Like Absolutely. I get it, but and they've done it. They've done it, you know, on different teams, but they've mm-hmm. done it before, so I know they can do it. But they've been out long enough to where. You're going to have to prove it to me. You can do it again. And, you know, you can have these guys, they play on alternate nights. They play together some, but at the end of the day, it's about chemistry. And if you haven't played together a ton in an 82 game season, that can impact you in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm not buying the Clippers. The other four I, I can see, but I'm not buying the Clippers. Did they have Golden State? Uh, they're at 10% at number four. Okay. All right. And so who did they have out of the East? Brooklyn, Boston, Boston and Milwaukee? Yep, Boston 57, Milwaukee 33, Brooklyn 10%. And then the teams they picked to win the finals, Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or the Clippers were the four that they picked. I get the, I get Boston and Milwaukee, and I even get Philly. I mean, I'm sorry. I even get Brooklyn if you can tell me KD comes back healthy. Mm-hmm. They kind of make it sound like it's not a month-long in, or like it's not a six- to eight-week injury. It's more like mm-hmm. a four-week injury. Mm-hmm. And he's been at such a high level, an MVP level this year. It's just incredible to watch him play basketball. And Kyrie, since he came back from his anti-Semitism vacation, yeah, uh, he has been incredible. And so I can see that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just not. It seems to me that they threw in a Western Conference team as a token. You know, it's no doubt that the top end of the East is better than the top end of the West. Uh, and they just had to have a West team there. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it it shouldn't have been they the Clippers. They picked the wrong one. But they yeah. picked the wrong the wrong one. It should not have been the Clippers. But anyway, there's a couple we'll kind of roll through, and then a few more I want to get your thoughts on. But um, next up, uh, who has been the what has been the best game of the season? Lucas sixty point triple double won that one um, over Denver's overtime win against Phoenix, and and Spada's seventy one point. The best play of the season was Luca's rebound off his intentionally missed free throw. Which was uh, that 61-point game, mm-hmm. same game. Yep. The most surprising storyline, they voted this Brooklyn's bounce back, was the most uh, ahead of Sacramento being better, Golden State being bad, Minnesota being bad, Indiana's hot start. Like Storyline, though? It's that's the most bounce surprising. Bounce back storyline? It's absolutely that's, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah. the storyline period of the NBA season has been Brooklyn. 
I don't because, know. Man. How many times do you have a player that has to step away from a team for anti-Semitic views and has to go through coaching, basically, and PR training before he can come back? I mean, it is, and then to come back and be incredible. Yeah. So it, they are the story. They are the drama to the season so far. Season hadn't had just a ton of drama. They've had a ton of scoring and a ton of mm-hmm. great individual performances and games. Mm-hmm. But story-wise, that Brooklyn story is fascinating. Sure. Uh, based on what you've seen so far, the team that made the best overall personnel moves were the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kind of an uh, obvious I one. I want to guess it. Yeah, yeah. it's obviously. Yeah. It's Donovan Mitchell. Yep. Uh, which rookie has been the biggest steal related to where he was selected in the 2022 draft? Matherin. Benedict uh, Matherin. He was third at 17. Um, That's not true. Yeah, behind they, the Franz Wagner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who? Walker Kessler was second from Utah, who we've seen, and he's a, you know, he's a decent big. He's good. Um, and then Andrew Nimhard from Indiana. Uh, he's from Gonzaga. Yeah, but he's at oh, Indiana. Oh, yeah, he's at Indiana. Sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they've got him there because I think he was a second-round pick. Yeah. So uh, Honestly, if you want to know the best value in the draft so far, it is um, – oh, shoot, Paolo Bancaro. I know he's pick number one. But my goodness, is he incredible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. goes on to the next one. Who's on track to win Kia Rookie of the Year? It's going to be a unanimous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He is 97% the seven percent of the votes. Second was Benedict Matherin from the yeah. Pacers. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 it should be unanimous. Uh, it probably won't be because we remember how Josh should have been unanimous. Right. But one bozo in Indiana voted for Zion, even though he played like. 20 games that year yeah yeah so. um uh, not not surprising here who's on track to win the mvp of the season uh it could be surprising because i believe it's a three or four horse race and it's pretty so, tight so per this there is okay. a two horse race and then there's two that are way down but it's a two horse race at the top per right. this survey so it's Jokic and okay. Giannis, right or is it Jokic and kd Okay, who's they got second? To me, it was kind of uh, nobody can hear your head nods there, Rusty. <laughs> well, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Um, but it's uh, to me, it was kind of obvious. And when I say it, you'll agree. Uh, Jokic was second with 40% of the vote. KD got 3%. Tied for third at 7% were Giannis and Jason Tatum. And the number one player picked by the the sports writers, Luka Doncic, Dallas Mavericks at 43%. Okay, I can't argue with it. Yeah. I do believe it typically goes to a better player on a better team. The person that I should have said that I omitted was Jason Tatum. Sure. He's the best player on the best team, and that's who typically gets the MVP. Yep. Uh, who's on track to win the Kia Defensive Player of the Year award? Jaron Jackson Jr. Wrong. And that's just like, no, it, but what are we doing? I was going to bring this up when we got to Grizzlies, and okay. we may not hit too much on the Grizzlies. I don't know, but did Why? you see where – in, according to Vegas, Jaron has moved to minus odds to win that award. Mm-hmm. And he's in second, which I still think is second is is not where he belongs. All right, so who would be first? Oh, don't tell me it's Brooke Lopez. It's Brooke freaking Lopez. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Your, your typical seven-foot lug. Yes. You know? He's I mean, Steven Adams. Like he's he he just shuts down big guys. He's a part of the system that he can defend lugs when you got all these other players running around the court. But uh Jared nerds, Jackson, man, Jr., nerds. They're, that's it. they're running the NBA. 
But I heard a stat today. Jaron Jackson Jr. is blocking 6% of the shots he defends, and Brooke is blocking 4. So they've got good numbers. But, but, don't, but watch Jaron Jackson Jr. play. They are not taking shots when they get it blocked a couple times. They quit shooting in the paint. It's a different style because Brooke defends the big lugs in the paint, but the Grizz tell Jaron, you just defend all over the floor. Run sideline to sideline and defend anybody. And so he's blocking shots three. He's blocking shots down low. He's taking steals at the top of the key. It's a much more rounded defensive effort. He can guard one through five. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times he gets in a little bit more foul trouble when he's guarding ones and twos. Yep. But he can guard three through five, and he can sit back there and thwart a whole offensive scheme if Mm -hmm. what you're wanting to do is get to the basket. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you watch any game he plays, and he'll block three to five shots in the first quarter, and then he doesn't have a ton of blocks after that. It's because they quit shooting around him. If he comes in the paint, they don't shoot. And put Dylan Brooks on the list. He don't have a chance of winning it, but he needs – I'll tell you this. His odds are probably higher than what I would want to bet on for value. You yeah. know, his his odds are probably good enough to win it that I wouldn't bet it because I would want to bet it for value. I'd want it to yeah. be a little higher odds. Yeah. Uh, so put him on the list. He deserves it. He's been incredible, too, on the perimeter. Yeah. Uh, we'll just do a couple more. There's several more. If you haven't read it, I, I'd, I'd be interested to, uh, for y'all to go read this. Give us some comments, what you think about it. It's on NBA.com. It's the midseason survey. But a couple, two, that one surprising and one that I'm really excited about. Uh, who is on track to win Coach of the Year? Oh, so typically Coach of the Year goes to a really good team. Yep. Or a team that has resurrected out of nowhere. So... The let's see some names that I would throw out. Uh, one I've seen some odds on this, uh, and so I know that Joe Mazula cat is on the list. At uh, time took for a, second, took, he took over. He took over in a bad spot. You know, in the as took over in a bad part of the year. You know, he was just kind of the the bench coach, the lead assistant, and took over at a weird time for Boston and they've been incredible and hadn't missed a beat. Kudos to him. I would say I'd put uh, Mike Brown in Sacramento on the list. Mm. I would look at uh, Indiana and I believe is that still, um, if he's not on the list, you're not probably not going to remember his name. Uh, Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle is on there. Yep. He's on the list. So, um, Taylor Jenkins should be on the list. Uh, seems like they're not going to talk about him anymore. Um, outside of that's the first names that come to mind. So, uh, Joe Mazzula got 23% of the vote. Mike Brown got some, some votes. Rick Carlisle did, uh, mad props. JB Bickerstaff, former. Oh yeah. yeah. He's uh, in Cleveland received votes. He's not in the top three, but uh, awesome. Awesome to see him on there. I was a big JB fan when he was with the Grizz. So, uh, really glad to see him on this list. And then uh, the top two vote getting Willie Green from New Orleans was tied for second with Joe Mazzula, and then Jack Braun from Brooklyn Jock was Braun. The, Jock Braun, sorry, uh, 43% Jock Braun. Um, the one that I really just warmed my heart, Drew. This is one I really like to see. Um, uh, is who is the best rebounder in the league? Oh, well, it's Stephen Adams. He was second again. Oh, probably a little oh, bit low. Oh, oh, oh. But, but DeMontis Sabonis. Absolutely. The guy is yeah. a machine. He's got 18 straight double doubles. Like, the averaging guy like 13 it. a game. Yeah. 
guy deserves it, but um, Steven Adams being on the list at 21% of the votes, like, I was fired up when I saw that. Because, like, Steve doesn't get the credit he deserves a lot of times, but, I mean, the man is setting re- rebound records left and right. And what's cool, like, Sabonis just gets all the rebounds. Offense, defense, doesn't matter. But Steven Adams in his whole career has always been more focused on offensive rebounds. Like, he would give up a defensive rebound to Russ for him to get his triple-doubles back when he was at OKC. He'll do a lot of tap-outs on defense to try and get the ball to a guard in space so they can run the floor. But where Steven Adams make his, makes his impact, obviously, is offensive rebounding. And he's such a good offensive rebounder. Without, like, just his presence in the paint, it's nice to see it getting the recognition it deserves across the league. He feels like a Grizzlies legend, too. He fits the mold. You know, nobody cares about him outside of the Memphis, you know, and nobody appreciates him outside of Memphis. He just feels like he, he fits that grit and grind mold that was birthed by Tony Allen, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, of course, he's an incredible rebounder, and the nerds that are call themselves NBA journalists appreciate that because they look at a lot of spreadsheets. So Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Stephen Adams, the Grizz have been on a hot streak, man. Longest active win streak in the NBA, won seven in a row, including three since we last recorded. We beat the Hornets the night we did record and then beat a good young Magic team in Orlando, which was a good uh, good road win, particularly because, Drew, I'm sure you watched it, we we played good for three and a half quarters, and the Magic just came out in the fourth and just punched us in the mouth. They played really hard in the second half and tried their best to come back and beat us in that game. That's a team that can beat you. Yes. They can beat you. And of those, I was going to make a note here, six of those wins in a row were on three consecutive back-to-backs. Right. Which is unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, we're playing great basketball. And without Jaw. The, yeah, the strength of the strength of schedule without Ja and Brandon Clark. And Brandon Clark gives us quality minutes off the bench. And that's kind of one of my other points I was going to bring up later, but now's a great time to bring it up, man. X, Xavier Tillman Sr. has been clutch in the absence of Brandon Clark. He's not going to have these gaudy stats. Like, his stats aren't great. He doesn't have the big numbers that Steve and, uh, and Brandon are going to put up. But his presence in the paint, getting those greedy rebounds, being aggressive, blocking and altering shots. Uh, the guy was just three weeks ago logging serious minutes for the hustle. And here he is now playing quality minutes for an NBA leading team. He's playing really good basketball. It's been fun to watch X. He's really stepped up in the absence of Steven Adams, who was sick, and now Brandon Clark, who's hurt. And the thing about Xavier Tillman is the character of the fellow. Mm-hmm. He was one of those four-year college players that the yeah. Grizzlies love mm-hmm. who come in mature. I mean, heck, he came in with three kids and balding. He looked like he was 45 mm-hmm. years old. And he's but, a Michigan State Spartan. We, You know we love our Spartans. Yeah. And so the character of Xavier Tillman, because he looked at that roster. I don't know if you know, heard this or not. He looked at that roster, and they, he was sat down. He was told, like, you know, you're not going to have a steady steady minutes here. You're going to be an end-of-the-bench guy. And he volunteered. He said, well, let me, instead of sending, you know, sitting here and being a good teammate and, you know, you respecting my veteran presence here, because uh, he is now a veteran in, on this team, you know, the veteran presence on the end of the bench, send me to the hustle. Let me get some playing time. Let me improve. Let me play. And, you know, his contract doesn't change. I mean, he, he's going to get paid the same whether he sits on the bench or whether he plays for the hustle or if he plays for the Grizzlies. And so for him to volunteer to spend his time for the hustle, to work on his craft, 
I mean, it says a lot about the guy. He's a guy that's not going to get down on himself. He's not going to get down on, by his role. And it's the Grizz culture that has been set by Taylor Jenkins and Zach Kleiman all the way down to the end of the bench. You look at the end of the bench, and that's where you get your you, – you can see your culture. Teams that don't have that culture, the end of the bench is checked out. When the, when the starters go down and it's their time, they're not ready. And when they're not getting any playing time, they're the the locker room cancers. They're the ones that's not paying attention or horsing around and not being focused. You look at the end of the bench at the Grizzlies games on the Grizzlies lineup, it's rookies. It's the, it's the two rookies. It's Xavier Tillman, Santi Aldama. They are key members of that Grizzlies organization. They are treated as such, and they reciprocate that respect with a respect for the game and respect for their teammates and just being absolute terrific human beings and great great players to play with. I couldn't say it better, Drew. And, and X really shows a lot of character in, like you said, going down to the hustle. He's been there helping that team, helping Kenny Lofton Jr. and Jake LaRavia trying to become NBA players and get them you know, some game experience and helping them develop their game so they can step up to that next level. And those kind of character guys are what makes teams great. Those guys, uh, the Tyus Jones of our team, Stones has just been incredible. He's had three 20-point games when Ja has been out. Every game he started, he had three or four. Every game he started, he scored 20-plus, really stepped up in the absence of, of Ja. It was fun to watch him beat his brother last night. Uh, right now, the Spurs are up three to, uh, three on us early second quarter. But uh, Monday night, beating the Spurs, uh, Tyus had 24. You know, we beat a scrappy Utah team on Sunday. I wrote a blog about it. That game always gets me, man. And I know it's been a number of years, but it's still it still gets me right in the right in the feels when I see Mike Conley in that other jersey. Uh, Captain Clutch was my guy. I remember when he came in the league uh, in 07 out of Ohio State was uh, just a really just a kind of an unheralded kid. And when when the Grizz went all in on him and they got rid of O.J. Mayo and they traded Kyle Lowry and, and they went all in on Mike, I went all in on Mike. And so. And I, don't don't forget that that was not a popular it was, decision. That's, that's what I was just was, about to say. He was the fourth pick in a three-player draft. Mm-hmm. You know, consensus, you had a top three. Yep. And he, we had the worst record in the league, and we ended up with the fourth pick. Right. And, and he struggled about, early, yeah. mm-hmm. and they made a decision to trade Kyle Lowry and stick with Mike, uh, probably because he was cheaper, honestly. The biggest reason was Coach Lionel Hollins. Lionel, Coach Coach Lionel saw Mike's potential, and Lionel went to uh, uh, Greg Wallace in the front office and said, Conley's our guy. This is the one that you want. He's got the character. He's got the resolve. He's got the talent. This is our guy. And he was cheaper, but it was Coach Hollins. Shout, you know, big props to Coach Hollins back in the day for seeing that potential and what became Captain Clutch. Uh, and the real leader of that those grit and grind teams. And it's he's the last remaining, you know, he's the dinosaur of the the grit and grind teams. I know there's some out there, but of the core four, he's the only one right. left. He's the only real contributor left on the core four. And man, I just it does warm my heart. I love Mike Conley. I'll always love Mike Conley. Um, but speaking of, let's let's touch on this real quick. It's not in the show doc, uh, but it the link was sent. To I believe you were in the group message. Patrick Jones sent me a, a message. I don't. We're in two different groups. I don't know if it was the fantasy football group or the other one. 
And he said, if you're not mad, watch this, and you will be. I don't know if you saw this. It's Chandler Parsons talking on a podcast to um, Matt Barnes and uh, Stephen Jackson. All the Smoke podcast, you know, popular NBA podcast where they interview players. So you've told me this story because you were a physical therapist in Memphis at the time when uh, when Chandler Parsons was signed by the Grizzlies to a $95 million contract. Yeah, I was, uh, I, was on the, I was on the beach with I was actually hanging out with one of the guys that he worked at Campbell's Clinic and he said everything we told him was to not make this deal. So. To piggyback off of that, they're sitting in the meeting, uh, Chandler Parsons, his agent, sitting in a meeting with the Grizzlies and things aren't going well. There's back and forth and, you know, there's some negotiating and um, not really a lot of momentum there. And his agent pulls him out and says, hey, let's just, you know, everybody, let's just take a break. We'll reconvene at five. So he takes Chandler outside, grabs a bite to eat, and he says, listen. You're going to be a Grizzly next year. And Chandler's like, why? Well, Portland is going to be very critical of your physical because they've had Brandon Roy and Greg Oden burn them. So they're going to fail you on your physical. So you need to go in here to Memphis, pretend to be excited about this, sign the contract, and not let this get out. Or Once you get labeled as an injury concern, you're playing for the minimum. And so he said, well, I walked into the office. I uh, put on the best acting performance. I deserved an Oscar, he said, because I told him how much I wanted to be a Grizzly. I could feel it in my soul, grit and grind forever, and I signed that contract for $95 million, and the information never got out that my knees were burnt. (laughs) And then we got one 20-point game out of it in the entire time he was there. He spent more time in L.A. than he did in Memphis, and what a disaster that was, man. Ugh. The worst contract ever signed in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. Even worse than Allen Iverson when he was a Grizz. But um, my butt but, hurts. Yeah, yeah. So. But uh, but yeah, Grizz are on a hot streak, dude. We have started off the second quarter on an 11-0 run, and we're now up 43-37. Grizz are starting to play a little playing basketball again. It's nice to see us wake up here in the second half. I'm sure Taylor Jenkins had a lot to uh, to talk about there for sure. Right. Um. You know, and first game for Jaw getting back. He's probably finding his sea legs a little bit so he's got 14 he's he's taking his normal maybe not then break, uh but he's got 14 he's the only starter in double figures uh dylan and uh dylan has zero right now jaron's got four uh no blocks so far uh the our grizzlies st- are shooting 80 percent from the three-point line <laughs> go figure <laughs> that's not going to continue our second leading scorer is desmond bain third leading scorer is the man who is featured on this podcast uh talk about efficiency X's got Xavier Tillman Sr.'s got six points in seven minutes. So shout out to X for being productive. Yeah. yeah. So there's our Grizzlies talk for the night. You got anything else you want to hit? Um, college basketball, we can talk about that real quick. Um, I did, the only thing I really want to talk about in that, uh, Mississippi State lost tonight in, uh, in a game that I thought was going to be the first one to 41 that game against Georgia. It was a terrible basketball game. I was watching it before we recorded. Could not wait to record the podcast so I didn't have to watch it anymore. Just a bad offensive team. But – the main thing I want to talk about, dude, is Kentucky is down bad. They yeah. got blown out by Alabama. They went, they lost to South Carolina in Rupp Arena for the first time since 2009. And I think it all stems back to Calipari saying, we're a basketball school. We don't care about football. Since he has said that, they have not been a basketball school. <laughs> well, and 
that South Carolina team had just gotten beat, gotten doubled up by Tennessee. It was 85-42 or something like that to Tennessee. A a very, very, very bad South Carolina team. Right. um, It couldn't happen to a better fan base. Uh, It it couldn't happen to a better coach. I see Kentucky is is just dying. Kentucky fans are just dying for Cal Perry to take the Texas job. Mm. And so I'm curious to know what Aaron Ivey's perspective on that is, although I probably won't respect it. Uh, and so, yeah, if you want to talk SEC basketball, um, then, um, I would say that Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both terrible. Terrible. They're both on losing streaks and, uh, ain't no point in talking about them. So, um, uh, NCAA basketball as a whole, yeah, that's, to me, that's the biggest story right now is Kentucky's terrible. And honestly, it makes Kentucky more watchable for me because I would like to root against them. Exactly. I like to watch them get beat. I like to see different teams be good, even if it is Alabama and Tennessee. But Alabama and Tennessee are the class of the SEC right now. There's some there's some surprising teams that are better. Georgia's undefeated at home now. They're 10-0 at home this year. Uh, Missouri's on a bounce back. Auburn's not bad. LSU's got a hot start. Um, I think uh, I think there's going to be some parity in the SEC this year. I'm just grateful it's not Kentucky. But um, anyway, we'll move on from that real quick, just because I don't want to belabor a bad basketball anymore. Drew, we've got some NFL playoff games this weekend, and I think we can do a deeper dive later. But uh, we kind of went a little bit long talking about some of the NBA tonight, which is always fun. But uh, the NFL wild card and first round of the playoff games start this weekend. Um, the first game up on Saturday, we'll kind of roll through just a quick overview and, and we'll give our picks for it. But first game is Saturday at 430. It's the Seahawks and the 49ers. It's at San Francisco. OK, I would say that out of all the games, this is the second least watchable for me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would find it hilarious for the Seahawks to beat them because they are bitter rivals and the 49ers have a lot of love. Uh, for super, I mean, the NFC's weak, and so um, there's highest favorite as anybody. I mean, sure, Philly, but is Philly and is there a big difference in Philly and San Francisco? I don't think so. so. Uh, I think it would be hilarious that if Seattle would beat them at home, but I don't, I don't really have a take on it. I, th- yeah, I think San Francisco's better than Seattle, but San Francisco's still starting Brock Purdy. So, yeah, I don't know. I- I think uh, I think Brock Purdy's putting up points because it's Kyle Shanahan's system. I think you can plug just about any man- game manager in that system, and they're going to win a ton of games. But I do think San Francisco made probably, in my opinion, the best move of the NFL season in trading for Christian McCaffrey. He was made for Kyle Shanahan's office, and it made that team so much better. I think San Francisco has a real chance to represent the NFC this year. I think and that, they've won ten in a row. I was just about to say I think they've won they've won ten in a row. I think they win their eleventh in a row. Um, I think they beat Seattle. As fun as the Geno Smith story has been this year, I think I think it ends on Saturday uh, in San Francisco. Okay. Um, Saturday night, eight fifteen, in what is another dud in my opinion. Uh, the underachieving Chargers and the overachieving Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a it's a matchup of pretty boy quarterbacks uh herbert and trevor lawrence i disagree i this is one of the games i'm looking forward to the most i think i listened to yours and zach's podcast and y'all were hating on jacksonville and whereas i don't think that they're contenders by any means i do find them to be fun and if you're talking about hot teams 
They are seven and one in their last eight. They did win the second weakest division in football. Uh, but I think they're fun. I always have a fun time watching the Chargers play because Justin Herbert's arm is electric and they've got playmakers all over the field. I find them to play a very fun brand of football. And so I'm actually going to root for the Chargers. Just like I said, I have fun watching them play and the quarterback matchups in the AFC would be a, a lot of fun if you let Herbert and Mahomes and Josh Allen and Burrow through to the next round. I mean, you're talking about elite quarterback matchups for all four, all both games. And so I'm rooting for, uh, I'm rooting for the Chargers. But that game's on my radar. It'll be one that I watch Saturday night I'll, in the I'll, casino. Yeah, because m- me and your boy Zach and our other buddy Andrew are going to spend uh, Saturday night at the casino in Tunica as a part of our joint Christmas present from our wives. Let's go. That's awesome, man. Come back home. Come back home, and you can take part in it next time. Sounds good. (laughs) I'll make that happen. back, though. (laughs) I'll make that happen. Um, So the – that game – I don't know. The Chargers should be so much better with the talent that they have. Their coach is terrible. Their system is not very good. Herbert is an incredible quarterback that I think is being – it's been done a disservice because of how bad that coaching staff is. So – while I don't want to root for a division rival, I kind of hope the Jaguars do win because obviously I'm neck deep in a coaching search looking for OCs and any kind of information I can find out about the Titans. But there are some rumors that the Chargers will move on from their head coach if they get bounced by the Jaguars. So part of me hopes that happens so that Herbert can finally get maybe get a quarterback that can put in a system where we can really see his talent because I agree he's one of the best young talents in the league. Um, this game is just two like, average teams. I mean, if I had to pick, I would probably pick the Chargers just because they're more talented. But I, part of me hopes the Jaguars find a way to win and Herbert can be released from the prison that he's in. Well, two average teams playing each other is a lot more appealing to me than an amazing team playing a terrible team, which is the next game that we have with the D- Bills versus the Dolphins. And I don't know about you, I don't have to say much about this game other than Buffalo is just going to kill them. Especially without two, uh, no two of this weekend. He's not Skyler like Thompson playing. Yeah. It's Who? over. Who? The uh, other, the former Kansas State quarterback, Skyler Thompson. Yeah, the Bills are going to absolutely smoke him. They're playing emotional football right now. DeMar Hamlin uh, was sent home from the hospital. He seems to be doing really well, recovering there in Buffalo. So, Bills by 90. The Bills Mafia is just going to, they're going to roll through the Dolphins. Uh, that's at one o'clock on Sunday. Hey, give four- these times central. You're the only one listening out there on the wrong coast. There's a few. We got a few listeners in Pauly. That game is at noon. Uh, Noon, noon, one Eastern. (laughs) Uh, At 3.30 Central, 4.30 Eastern, we've got uh, an intriguing matchup. Danny Dimes and the New York Giants taking on primetime Kirk Cousins. This game's at 4.30, which matters if you're a Vikings fan, but the Giants play at the Vikings. Uh, This was the game that is the least appealing to me. Because I I don't – I don't care anything about watching Kirk Cousins and the Vikings play. Uh, the Giants are a good story. They started better than they finished, and I think Minnesota beats them, and I think it's just not a fun football game to watch. I only w- judge these games based on watchability, and I don't see the watchability of this game being – I don't see it. it. It'll be less entertaining than Jacksonville and Los Angeles Chargers. 
Well, these two teams just played a couple weeks ago. The Vikings won on a late field goal, 27-24. It's a rematch from just a couple weeks ago. I agree. It's, it's not one that I'm going to be itching to watch. If I have something else to do at that time on Sunday, I'll be doing that. I'm not um, saying that it won't be close. I'm saying it won't be fun to watch. Watch it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. So after that, uh, the night game on uh, Sunday night, which I believe should have been the best game of the weekend. Um, although I think Lamar Jackson may be may have punted on the season to uh, shore up his contract situation in the off season. The Baltimore Ravens played the Cincinnati Bengals uh, at Cincinnati on Sunday night. I'm high on Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati. I love Joe Burrow. I think that Baltimore is going the wrong way. And if they're starting Tyler Huntley, then it's a blowout. If they're starting Lamar Jackson, they lose, but they lose more respectably. And they deserve to lose. They gave Roquan Smith $100 million before they shirt up Lamar Jackson, the linebacker they got from the Bears. Like, you, why? You wouldn't, you wouldn't why? pay that guy? <laughs> Not before I paid Lamar Jackson. <laughs> but see, I think that's where their, their thought process differs from yours. Because this is the Ravens, and that's their stud linebacker. You tell me they're not going to pay that guy. That no, I'm I'm not saying they should not have paid him. I'm just saying that I don't know that Roquan Smith, who's a he's a, he's I wouldn't call him a stud. He's a good NFL linebacker, but he has a lot he has a lot of flaws. I don't know that I would have paid him before I paid my franchise quarterback Lamar Jackson. But either way, you're right. Baltimore's always proud of themselves on defense. I don't think their defense is going to help them Sunday night. I think Joe Shiesty and the Bengals win convincingly. Watching him smoke that cigar after they clinched, it was just like, yep, he's back. I just, I think that Baltimore is starting to pivot, starting their process of pivoting from Lamar, Jackson. From Lamar Jackson. That's what I think that, and I, I don't, don't think that contract, because I mean, it's twenty million dollars a year. That's not a irresponsible contract for a linebacker. No, and again, I have no but, issue with the contract itself. I just the the timing seemed, but like you said, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of. If they're pivoting from Lamar Jackson, then it makes a ton of sense. But I think they could pay Lamar Jackson the max as well as have this hundred million dollar, twenty million dollars a year contract from for Roquan Smith. I think they could pay both. I don't. I think they're separate issues. And one of the issues, the most most pre- pressing issue of the offseason for Baltimore is obviously going to be locking up Lamar Jackson. And I just don't know they want to pay him $250 million. And I don't know that they should. I don't either. He's a running back with a decent arm. Um, I was listening to a podcast today recounting all the the greatest Mississippi State bowl games of all time. But one of them was we just beat the crap out of Lamar Jackson. Uh, Three picks on that day, just beat the crap out of him. That was Um, before it was cool to sit out or he would have sat out. Right, or he just sat out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Terrible bowl game. He but played he, like he was sitting out. <laughs> right. He did. He did, in theory, sit out. Yeah. But uh, Bengals by 90. That one's not going to be close. And the last one of the weekend, of the wild card weekend, is Monday night at 8-15. Tom Brady, who is 7-0 against the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night, 8-15, in Tampa Bay. I think uh, I think Tom Brady moves 8-0. I, you know, I'm a homer. I love me some Dak Prescott. I love everything about him. He's a good dude. I just think he needs a – I don't know if Dallas is the best fit for him. I think Tampa Bay can win this game. It just depends on 
what happens with Dak. If he's if he has one of the nights where he does throw some picks, and to be fair, which is last, every night since in the last few games, injury. it's hard though because some a lot of those picks, if you because I try and watch him anytime he's on TV. He can't help it if he hits a guy in the chest or the hands and it bounces up and gets intercepted. That's not no, on him. But that, that happened a lot. Yeah, but there's a lot of bad decisions as well. Uh, it's a lot of arm punts, you know, because he just can't put the ball where he wants it. This game is going to be billed as the marquee game. Obviously, they put it on Monday Night Monday Football. Night. It's the America's team in quote-unquote Dallas Cowboys against the wonder boy Tom Brady, the ageless wonder. And – I don't I think that the worst case scenario for somebody who roots against the establishment and roots against the Cowboys is that the Cowboys lose this game and go hire Sean Payton cuz I know that there's a fraction of that fan base that say I know we're not winning the Super Bowl this year let's lose fire dud Mike McCarthy and and finally make it happen with Sean Payton after a decade of speculation Again, that's why I think that like I think there's a good chance that they lose this game. Dallas's defense is great, but Tom Brady finds a way to win in the playoffs, and until he proves me otherwise, I'm not betting against Tom Brady in the playoffs. Yeah, never bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs, especially not in the first round. Especially not the first round. Monday night football, the spotlight's there. He'll think he's 30 again or 25 again, and they'll beat the brakes off the Cowboys just because it's the playoffs. Right, and that's the playoffs. All right, real quick. Just one word answer. I'm going to ask you two questions, both okay. of which one word answer. Okay. Who are you pulling for? Who do you want to win it? And who do you think is going to win it? In the, the whole thing? Yeah, Super Bowl. Who Before do the playoffs think? start and we eliminate half the field. Who And and don't forget about the one seed. You've still got Philly and Philly you've still and Kansas got City. Kansas City. I think the the answer is the same for me. I think and I want Buffalo. I want Cincinnati. Hmm. I think it'll be Kansas City. I don't do that, man. Come on. They're so good. Uh, The Bills Bills have the emotion behind them now with this DeMar Hamlet thing. If the Bills Bills are in it, uh, if the Bills emerge, and if, if Buffalo and Cincinnati play, it's not like I'm going to be mad if Buffalo loses i don't have a rooting interest in it i love joe burrow honestly and and i love josh allen i think buffalo's got the best uniforms in football uh Mm. i just i i would love to see cincinnati break through and do it and uh yeah buffalo is a is a very very razor thin close second i just think that i mean kansas city is I can't. I saw them do the little ring around the rosy uh, play, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, that they're playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. <laughs> I hope we get it again because if it's anything like last year's playoffs, that Chiefs-Bills game was one of the best football games of any the level best. ever seen, yeah. ever seen. And I hope we get another one of those. And this time it's Josh Allen's turn. He deserves it. He just seems like such a good dude. They've got the DeMar Ham- Hamlin behind him, so – uh, Bills Mafia, I'm probably the kiss of death, but I'm rooting for you. Uh, I hope that I uh, hope the Bills pull it out. Yeah. All right. Well, you're definitely the kiss of death. We know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Don't uh, 
don't bet don't, don't bet my picks man you always want to fade rusty that's the, that's the thing but uh drew enjoyed it man another great show great uh time hanging out and it was nice to get the band back together again and uh, hopefully the Grizz can continue they're up 70 61 right now and hopefully they uh they find some success tonight and uh, drew look forward to doing this again with you next week yes sir uh and we should have mentioned it on the top as well please tell your friends twitter at the number two buck sports podcast instagram at the number two bucks sports podcast uh, our website is the number two buck sports um i've been contemplating making a facebook post for our older fans out there uh <laughs> our facebook page uh fan page and so maybe be on the lookout for that as well but continue to like ours please continue to interact with us we love it uh like rate subscribe uh talk with us talk crap to us if you don't agree with us we'll tell you again while we're right in the comments or on on tweets so just please interact with us uh we look forward to getting back with you next wednesday yeah drew thanks buddy we'll see y'all next week in the meantime go grizz go grizz man have a good week (laughs) 